Well, you guys may not realize it, but you're actually in a competition right now with some of those kids that just left. I taught the kindergarten through second grade on Sunday morning, and I'm teaching you all tonight, and I told them I would let them know who the best listeners were. And they were pretty good on Sunday, a lot of wiggles, but they did listen good, so we'll see how you all measure up tonight. If you don't know me, my name's Tara, and I would love to get to know you, but I have the opportunity to teach from time to time, and I'm always thankful for that. I just want to take a minute and... um, say, what a Sunday we had this past Sunday. Man, what a Sunday. I was, like I said, I was down in the kids, so I wasn't even in here for the message, but I heard about how awesome it was, and I could not wait to listen to it. I had already made plans to kind of get on my own with the Lord Sunday afternoon. So after lunch, I had the opportunity to get by myself, and I immediately went to listen to the message and pulled up the the Facebook live feed and played it back. And as you all began to sing that last song, even in my office alone, I was standing there, arms raised, like tears streaming down my face because I could still feel the presence that had been in this place two hours prior to the time that I was listening to it. I mean, God is moving. He is moving, and, and not just in our church, although he is in our church. Can you believe it's almost been a year since kind of the relaunch of Grace Meadows Church? Think about all that God has done in that year. He is moving so powerfully, but, but he's moving in other churches in this area too. I talked to several other people who were, who were like, man, the Holy Spirit was just so present in our service this past Sunday. He's moving in colleges college campuses all over our nation. We've all heard about Asbury, but not just Asbury anymore. He just continues moving. And I think we can be skeptical or we can be hopeful. We can be faith-filled. And I am praying for revival, y'all. I am yearning for it, longing for it. And I want to be clear, I don't think we can or should try to duplicate anything that has happened elsewhere. I don't really think that's profitable. But I do think when the Lord begins to pour out his spirit and you begin to hear about that and see evidence of that, then it is a good thing to desire it. It is a good thing to hunger and thirst for that because there is nothing like the presence and the power of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question tonight. Can you look back on your life and think about those moments when you have felt the presence of the Lord the most clearly? Those times when you have felt the Holy Spirit in just an undeniable way. Can you remember those times? Can you pinpoint some of those? Because tonight, a big focus of what I want us to do tonight is just to remember I want us to remember because all throughout the Bible, God tells us to do that. Do you know how simple that is? But over and over again, he tells us, hey, remember. Remember what I've done. Remember my mighty acts. Remember my faithfulness in your lives. And this yearning that I have for revival, it has made me do just that. It has made me stop and remember those moments when he was with me so clearly, when he moved in my life so apparently. And I want more of those. The first time 
I remember feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit so clearly. I was just seven years old, and I will never forget it. I was sitting in this blue pew. Did any of y'all have blue pews? We had blue pews at our church. I was sitting in this blue pew, and it was the last day of vacation Bible school. And Ira, most of you know Ira, he was our pastor at the time. It was the last day, and Ira came the last day, and he was talking about Jesus and about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for my sins. And I remember hearing that, and I remember for the first time realizing that, that I was a sinner. And then he also talked about how Jesus offered us forgiveness and how if we put our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, um, then he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and he'll be our Lord and our Savior. And for the first time, I remember feeling the, the crushing weight of conviction, but also simultaneously feeling this hope that I had never known before. And I felt like my heart was gonna beat out of my chest. And right then and there, it was like, it was like I knew I needed something that until that moment, I never knew I needed. And it was not Ira's words that made me feel that way that day. I'm sure the Lord used his words, but it was not Ira's words. It was because in that moment, the Holy Spirit was moving in me to take me from death to life. And I will never forget it. Do you remember feeling the presence of the Lord at different times in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't just walk about based on our feelings. The Lord is always with us. He is always with us regardless of our feelings. But sometimes in his grace and his mercy, as he pours out his spirit, it's just undeniable and it's overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? I've had other times in my life where it's happened. Sometimes it's been in the hardest moments of my life. Sometimes it's been in the best but those moments will always be the greatest moments of my life. But we have to remember them. We have to remember what that's like. And I'm hungry for more of it. And I'd be willing to bet some of you are hungry for more of it too. I am sensing like this hunger in our community. But far past that in our state, in our nation, around the world, there is this hunger right now for the Lord to move. And all the little revivals that are breaking out. They may not get the media attention that most other things would. They may not get broadcasted like a lot of other things would get broadcasted, but, but the Lord does not need the media to start a movement. His Holy Spirit is more than capable of stirring up his people, and we've seen that already. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we hungry for it? I want you to ask yourself that tonight. Am I hungry for it? Not just in our church, but in your family. Are you hungry for it? In your marriage, are you hungry for it? In your own individual walk with Jesus, are you hungry for revival? Dallas reminded us last Wednesday night that revivals are not brought about by, by gimmicks, by innovative methods, by the best speakers, or the most awesome worship teams. That will never do it. They are brought about by prayer. They are brought about by the reading of Scripture. They are brought about by the power of the pure and simple gospel. That is what brought my heart to life that day. The pure and simple gospel. They're about remembering what Christ has done for us. So last Wednesday, Dallas kept it simple. 
He focused on the things that bring revival. He focused on reading scripture, and he focused on prayer. And I'm going to follow his lead tonight because, as usual, I feel like he's leading us in the right direction. We're going to keep it simple, and we're going to let the Lord do his thing. Last week, we began the study of Exodus, and it was awesome. Dallas taught through the first six chapters of Exodus, and tonight I get to teach through the next eight chapters of Exodus, so I hope you got a comfy chair. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version on most of those chapters, but then I really want us to focus in on the Passover, because you cannot study the Passover without focusing on the Lamb of God, on the gospel. But as we go through the book of Exodus, I want us to remember something. I want us to remember the mighty hand of our God. And I want us to remember the fact that this story, the story of the Israelites, their history as God's God's people, it is also our story now. As adopted children of God, this is now our story, our heritage that we carry with us. We are God's people grafted into his family. So as we go through this story of his amazing might and power, we've got to remember that this is part of our story. And God, in his scripture, he tells us to remember it. And he tells us that when we remember it, when we remember his mighty acts, that that brings him glory as we remember it and pass it down from generation to generation. So let's recap for a moment. When Exodus begins, Dallas told us that God's people, they were in slavery because they had grown too numerous and too powerful. So Pharaoh got a little intimidated by them and he began to enslave them. But God had made a covenant with his people. And when God makes a covenant, he doesn't break it. So he had a plan all along. And through his sovereign authority that Dallas mentioned, God raises up a leader, Moses, to deliver his people out of slavery. Now, Moses, he didn't take on this responsibility with eager excitement, did he? No, instead he gave God every excuse as to why he couldn't do it. Man, been there. And God ends up meeting every excuse Moses gave him with provision. First, he gives him Aaron, who speaks with him and for him. And then God gives him his power. His power to get the attention of Pharaoh and the people. And then that kind of leads us to tonight picking up in chapter 7. Well, in chapter 7, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh to do what God has asked them to do. So they go to Pharaoh and they ask Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, let our people go. Let us go to the wilderness and worship you. And Pharaoh, he kind of figures out that this is a scheme for them to escape. And he's not wrong in that. So Pharaoh realizes this, and he refuses to let the people go. And this happens over and over again, right? Most of you all have heard this story. They go to Pharaoh, ask for him to let them go. Pharaoh refuses. And each time this happens, God sends a plague. And I'm not going to go into the plagues in detail because Joel, where's Joel? He, went, he taught on those not, not long ago, and he did a great job. So I'm going to hit them very briefly. But the reason why I'm going to mention them tonight is because you cannot hear about the plagues without stopping to remember the mighty hand of our God. And that is what I want us to remember tonight. So I'm going to mention them briefly. The first time Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, God turns the water, the Nile, into blood. But Pharaoh's magicians are able to use sorcery to do the same thing. So Pharaoh's not impressed, and he refuses to let them go. Then... 
The second time Pharaoh refuses, they are able to bring frogs up out of the water, and frogs cover the whole entire land of Egypt. But Pharaoh's magicians, they're able to use their sorcery, and they do that too. Pharaoh's not impressed, refuses to let the people go. Then the Bible says that gnats, God sent gnats from the dust of the earth to literally cover the whole entire land. Can you imagine how annoying that was? You know how annoying gnats are? This is gnats like we've never imagined. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, even though his magicians, they couldn't do that one. Then the Lord sends flies. Then he kills the livestock. Then he sends boils, painful sores all over the people. Still, Pharaoh's heart remains hard. And he won't let them go. Then he sends a hailstorm, a gigantic hailstorm that kills all the livestock that's out in the fields and the crops. Then he sends a swarm of locusts that eat up everything that's left after the hail. And by this point, the people are coming to Pharaoh and they're like, Pharaoh, just let them go. Because think about the devastating consequences of Pharaoh's stubbornness. They are now on the verge of famine. There's no food in the land. The crops have been killed. The livestock has been killed. Still, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. So then the ninth plague, God sends darkness. And this is a darkness like we've never known before. The Bible says that it was so dark that the people could feel the darkness. And they couldn't leave their houses. They couldn't do anything because it was so dark. But over in Goshen... Where God's people were, somehow there was still light. This time, Pharaoh, he agrees to let the people go, but then promptly changes his mind as he had done in the past. And that brings us to the final plague, the death of the firstborn. What we're going to do tonight, to keep it simple, is we're going to read two passages of Scripture. They're a little bit lengthier than maybe usual. But we're going to read them, we're going to talk about them, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray individually, silently at our seats, and then we're going to pray corporately as a church body. And we're going to walk through this together. And I feel like this is what the Lord has led me to do tonight. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to read verses 4 through 10 together. Moses here, he's talking to Pharaoh, and it says this. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. Y'all think about this. This really happened. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. I'd say so, right? But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. When it comes to judgment, God makes a distinction between his people and those who are not his people. Verse 8. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, because he knew these consequences that were coming. He knew Pharaoh's stubbornness. Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. 
verse 9, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. That last verse, it bothers a lot of people, and I totally understand why. It's a tough one. It says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and that kind of causes us to, to wonder in kind of an accusatory way, God, why would you do that? And I'll be honest with you, there are lots of different opinions about this. And I'm okay with us having different opinions about this. But I did think it was interesting as I was studying this. In the first six plagues, it just says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened for the first six plagues. And so a lot of scholars believe that Pharaoh initially is hardening his own heart. He continues in his stubbornness. He continues in his pride. And his heart gets harder and harder until God passes judgment. And God confirmed Pharaoh's prideful decisions and set into action the painful consequences that would follow as a result. Our God. He is a God of both judgment and mercy. He is both just and gracious. And those aspects of his nature must always be seen alongside of one another. But a lot of times we focus so much on one of those things that we, that we forget about the other one. Like in my own life, when I'm in sin, when I've done something wrong, I'm like, oh, but thank goodness God is merciful. Thank goodness God is gracious. And that is true. But then... When it's someone, someone else, maybe someone I'm not as fond of, and they're in sin, I'm like, don't they know God is just? Don't they know that judgment is coming? God is both just and merciful. He has both judgment and he shows us grace. And we can't focus so much on one thing that we forget about the other. Pharaoh persisted in sin. He persisted in his stubbornness, and he persisted in his pride, and the consequences of that sin, they were dire. They were dire. They were devastating and heartbreaking. Y'all, the consequences of our sin can be dire. And when we continue to walk in our sin, as God warns us, as he, as he pulls at our heart, as he asks us to, to go a different way, and we persist in sin... Our stubbornness takes root deeper and deeper, and the consequences for that can be devastating. I still have more material for us to cover tonight, one more passage of Scripture. And I know this is, this is kind of a hard message to hear, but I want us to take a minute tonight. I want you to take a minute. I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to ask yourself, is there any area in your own life that that stubbornness has crept into, that, that pride has crept into, and has your heart become hard. And I want to give us an opportunity tonight to go to the Lord in confession and in, and in repentance of that. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in a minute, and it may be a little awkward, and honestly, I'm okay with that, because I think it's good to get out of our comfort zone sometimes, right? 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to pray, and then I'm going to let us pray silently, individually in our seats. And if the Lord, ask him to examine your heart. Ask him to show you if there is some way in your life that, that stubbornness has crept in, that pride has crept in. Because we, we don't want judgment. We want his grace and his mercy, and he will be faithful to give us that. But he wants confession. He desires repentance. But maybe there isn't anything in your life right now. And as you ask him to examine your heart, he shows you that. Praise the Lord. But I guarantee you that you know somebody who is headed down the path towards judgment. Man, use this time to intercede on their behalf. To ask the Lord to keep going after them. To ask him to use you to keep going after them. So that if there's nothing in your own life, use it to intercede on behalf of somebody else. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God of both judgment and mercy. God, you are just, but you are gracious. Father, we acknowledge that right now. And Lord, I just pray that this would be a time of repentance and confession, God, that you would search our hearts. And if there's anything found that is not bringing you honor and glory, that you would show us that and that we would repent of that now. Father, I thank you that when we come to you in repentance and confession, Father, I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us. God, we don't deserve that. And you are so gracious and merciful, God, and we praise you for that. Holy are you, God. You are so good to us, Father. Father, we come before you corporately now as a church body. Father, if there is anything in us as a church body, as leaders in this room, God, we come before you and we ask you to show that to us, Father. If there's anything that you desire repentance and confession in, Father, make, that, make us aware of that. Father, we want to bring you honor and glory. That's the desires of our heart. Father, help us to walk in righteousness and to continue doing that, showing your love to this community that you've placed us in. And we ask all this in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. Now I want to read a portion of Exodus chapter 12. This final plague is coming, the death of the firstborn. But God, in his mercy, is going to protect the Israelites from this final plague. But in order to be saved from it, they have to act in faith. They have to act in faith. So let's read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14 together. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If a household is too small for a lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. 
And you may take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Listen to this foreshadowing. Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the tops and sides of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. Now focus in with me on verse 11. It says, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 12, on the same night I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, praise Jesus, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It wasn't putting the blood on the doorpost that saved the people from judgment. It was their faith in that blood that saved them from judgment. Just like we are saved through faith, not by works. They were saved through faith. Faith in what God said would happen is what caused them to slaughter the most prized lamb, the one without blemish. Faith in what God said was going to happen is what caused them to establish this whole Passover celebration. They believed that what God said was going to happen, so they acted in faith. They slaughtered the lamb, they ate it, they smeared the blood on the doorpost, and they were saved from judgment because they had faith that what God said was going to happen was going to happen. Obviously, these lambs were a foreshadowing of Christ to come, right? The ultimate spotless sacrifice that was made on our behalf, by which through faith we are saved from eternal judgment. And if you're here tonight, and I know it's a Wednesday night, this is kind of our core people, but I don't want to be naive. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never put your faith in that lamb. You have never asked for the forgiveness that he so freely offers you. Man, you can do that tonight. I know judgment isn't a very popular thing to teach about. And I know I'm talking about that tonight. We don't like to hear about judgment. And we don't come to Christ just because judgment is coming and we want to be saved for it, from it. We come to Christ because he loves us. And because he he hunts us down in his kindness and his mercy and his faithfulness. But the truth is, judgment is coming. And Jesus taught about it all the time. So I'm not afraid to teach about it. I'm afraid to not teach about it. Because it's real. And even if we are saved from judgment, we know so many people who aren't. And that should motivate us to open up our mouths and speak about the hope that we carry around with us every day. God's people in Exodus 12, they believed that what God said would happen, would happen, and they acted on that belief. Are we acting on our belief? 
Just like God told those Israelites what was going to happen in that last plague, he has told us what is going to happen in the last times, right? We carry that knowledge around with us. We know how the story is going to end, yet a lot of times, if you're like me, we walk around acting like we don't know, just storing up all this treasure on earth, just doing all we can to just store it up as much as we can. We, we let things that are so trivial. My daughter's in a basketball tournament this week, and man, I love her, and I love basketball, and my emotions are all over the place. We, we get so riled up, good and bad, about things that just don't really matter. We live our life like we don't know how the story is going to end sometimes. And it's good to love the things our kids love. I'm not saying that's bad. But having that focus, that perspective that we carry with us every day is so important. The Israelites, they knew that what God said was going to happen and it affected their actions. God told them to eat their Passover meal with their belt fastened and their sandals on and their staff in hand like they could be freed at any moment. Y'all, we could be freed at any moment. We could be freed from life on this earth at any moment. We could be free from the bondage of sin and slavery to sin at any moment. Are we actually living like we believe that? The awkward pause is for a reason. I want us to ask ourselves that. Have we forgotten it because we hear it so often that we become numb to it? That's how the story really does end. What God says happens, happens. So I want to take one more moment and I want to give us time to pray. And I want us to ask God to help us believe this real and afresh again in such a way that it affects the way that we live our daily lives. But this is also a good time for intercession as well. Maybe you know somebody and they just are not ready for that day. Man, Bring that to Jesus now. Bring that before him now. Father, I thank you that, that we already know how this story ends. God, I ask that you would help us to live every day like we believe it. Father, work in our hearts as we come to you now. God, right now, I just don't, I don't even want to ask you for anything. Father, I just want to praise you that you are victorious over death, that you are victorious over sin. God, you have the ultimate victory. God, we acknowledge that and we come before you right now with just praise and thanksgiving for that. Holy are you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Exodus 12, God's people obeyed and they were saved from judgment that night. But Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they suffered devastating loss, devastating consequences. So finally, probably just out of complete heartbreak and devastation, Pharaoh sends God's people on their way. At least initially, he does. 
And as they're headed out, he later changes his mind. And God's people, they're, they're now trapped because they started to flee and they're stuck. And Pharaoh's army is chasing behind them and there's a Red Sea in front of them. So what does God do? He just splits it open. He just takes his mighty hand and he splits it right open for them. And they walk right through on dry ground, walls of ocean on both sides. Can you imagine how amazing yet how terrifying that must have been? And then when they get safely to the other side, God brings final judgment on those Egyptians. And those walls come crashing back down because God's plans cannot be thwarted. They just can't be. What he says will happen, will happen. And then God told the Israelites, remember. Hey, remember what I have done here. He tells them, hey, make this Passover a memorial celebration. Do it over and over again. Do it with your children. Tell them about my mighty hand. Don't let them forget. Remember. Remember. And that's what I feel like he is saying to us tonight. Don't forget. Remember. Remember his mighty hand in your life. Remember his mighty hand in his word that he has given us. Remember. Remember it. Tonight we've read more scripture than usual. And we've prayed more than usual. Now I want us to praise. I want us to praise together because we have a God who does what he says he's going to do. And we have a God who always gets the victory and whose plans are never thwarted and they never fail. That is who we get to praise. And yet he knows us intimately. He knows our lives intimately. He knows what you're going through, what you're facing right now. His plans aren't so big that he can't see small. He can see that too. Man, he's incredible. So can we praise him tonight? You all stand with me for a second. I don't know why I'm sharing this, but when I praise the Lord, maybe you've seen me, I can be a little bit charismatic, which is kind of funny because I grew up in a very reserved worship atmosphere, but I've always been this way. It's just how God made me. Um, but when I praise the Lord, I, I close my eyes, and that's for multiple reasons because I don't want to be distracted by what's going on around me. But just instinctually, one thing that I've always done when I praise the Lord is I remember and I picture in my mind his mighty acts. I have no idea why. I just have always done it. I will picture him as I worship splitting that Red Sea. I will picture him shutting the mouth of those lions. I will picture him on the cross. I will picture him rising from the cross. Or I will envision him sitting at the right hand of the Father receiving my worship. I picture it in my mind because it helps me focus and it brings me to praise. There's no wrong or right way to do it. I just thought I'd share that because it's worked for me in the past. You know what works for you, but man, he deserves our praise tonight. He deserves it. So let's pray and then we'll sing. God, I don't have much to say because sometimes my words just fail me when it comes to your greatness. But God, I pray that as we pour out our praises to you right now, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that would know how to do it, that would just instinctually know how to pour out your praise. And I pray that as we pour out our praise, God, that you would pour out your spirit. God, we need it. We long for it. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, I pray.